Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. The doctors of BC representing 14,000 physicians in our province took the rare step of issuing a statement yesterday saying how deeply concerned they are by the Health Minister's recent comments that nurse practitioners provide better care than doctors. Family physician Jennifer Lush says, and I quote, it was a profound slap in the face to every physician. It's smoke and mirrors, and it's a strategy to sow seeds of division rather than focusing on the real issue, which is that we have a crisis in BC of one million people not having access to a family doctor, end quote. So instead of smoke and mirrors, will the minister today acknowledge the val value of family doctors, end the divisive rhetoric, and take action to deal with a growing crisis of health care in our province? Minister of Health. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, the member was there. Uh, the first thing I said in answer to a question on physician's assistance was, I'm not saying, I said, on the record, I'm not saying that care is better. And that's the case. In fact, family practice doctors are the heart and the foundation of our primary care system. 6,800. Over the last uh, number of years, there are 600 more family practice doctors in BC than there were before. There are also, and we talk about nurse practitioners, who have also a very significant role, um, uh, 400 more nurse practitioners. And they are working together to provide primary care. The, the reason you know that I don't think that is I didn't say it, I don't believe it, and I think family practice doctors do an extraordinary job in BC, particularly during this period of pandemic, when we transform the primary care system together to continue to provide service for people. So uh, let's be clear, I've said virtually every day, family practice doctors are critical in BC. They play a key role in BC, and we need to respect them, not just by saying so, but by doing what we've done with primary care networks, which is giving doctors and divisions of family practice control and responsibility on the provision of primary care in their communities. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you very much to the Minister. And we should be perfectly clear about who heard the comments and what, how they were said. Doctors were watching across British Columbia, and their comments were based on what they heard, not what I heard. So to be clear, they issued the statement. They took the rare opportunity to issue a statement about what this Minister said after watching his health estimates. Doctors are upset and angry about what they heard this minister say. As Dr. Anna Wolak says, and I quote, the minister's comments confirm that we are undervalued as people and as physicians. It's an actual gut punch, end quote. Not my words. And I was in the room with the minister while doctors were listening and sending in their comments. Almost a million people in British Columbia do not have a doctor. And this minister continues to say, everything's okay. Doctors are closing their practices. And many more have indicated they will do that because they feel undervalued. Will the minister get up today and at least acknowledge the impact of his words and take immediate action to fix the crisis in primary care? 
Minister of Health. Well, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And that, uh, the circumstance, the, the Leader of the Opposition talks about unattachment. There were twice as many unattached people in 2017 as in 2003. The rate of unattachment increased by 70% in that period. What that tells you is that that's a trend over a period of time only once in those 14 years did, uh, did uh, attachment get less. Uh, there were modest improvements in 2018 and 19, and the pandemic's had its effect. Every day, we should celebrate the work of family practice doctors, and every day I do so. I understand what it means for our families and for our communities and the need to provide care to patients. It's why, under the most difficult of circumstances, in this past year, the year ending March 31st, there were 1.5 million more visits than there were before the pandemic, in spite of those extraordinary difficulties. If anything tells you about the commitment of our family practice doctors to our province, to their patients, and to our healthcare system, it's that. And I and the government will continue to support them. Opposition House Leader. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the question that the Leader of the Opposition uh, has asked, and, and, and I will do so again, relates to the words of this Health Minister in uh, the estimates process just down the hall from here. Uh, th these were his words, and he can, he can choose to, to deflect around that uh, here this morning. He said what he said, and doctors across the province were outraged. They were paying attention, and they felt disrespected. So the questions are about the choice of words and whether they truly reflect how this minister feels about family doctors and their role in our health care system. And I would remind the minister that under his watch, one in five British Columbians don't have a family doctor. So this really matters. Instead of, uh, instead of uh, focusing on action to ensure that we don't lose any more doctors and that we don't have more stories like we profiled yesterday in Euclid, that we've profiled in James Bay, that we've profiled all around this province, that we, we don't hear more of those stories, but rather we see more doctors added to the system and fewer people being unattached. So once again, I will, I will, I will point out another statement for this, for this minister. This one is from the BC Family Doctors Association in direct response to the minister's words yesterday. And I, and I quote, such comments are disheartening and divisive. BC's primary care crisis will not be solved by fostering an us versus them culture, end quote. So again, to the Minister of Health, will he stop with this divisive rhetoric and focus on the action required so that British Columbians have a family doctor when and where they need one? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, it's unusual when you get criticized for comments they don't quote the comments. Which are, uh, which are pretty straightforward and consistent with what I've said for a long time. I think what uh, family do practice doctors in BC want is to promote team-based care. I know this because in our, in our core family practice and fa primary care initiative, primary care networks, we've handed the responsibility for the recommendations and the frame of primary care networks and communities to family practice doctors, just as an example. 160 of the people that have been hired on, on the direction and recommendation of family practice doctors have supported patients on issues of mental health and substance abuse care. Why? 
because that assists, first of all, in getting people access to the best possible care, and it reflects what family practice doctors are dealing with in communities. We are working what is clear, and this is clear for doctors and nurse practitioners and nurses and allied health workers, all of whom work in primary care, is that we're living in a moment where the complexity of cases has increased. And therefore, the system we have in place, the system we've had in place for a long time, the fee-for-service system, which depends on volume, is not well suited to dealing with the increasing challenges doctors face. This is particularly true of young doctors. It's why young doctors, in general, have told us they're not interested in taking up fee-for-service practice. And that's why we're working closely together with doctors in BC to address these issues. Opposition House Leader, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's, let's take this back up a, a, a level. Under this minister's watch, an additional 200,000 British Columbians are unattached to family physicians. There's nearly 1 million British Columbians now without a family doctor in communities all across this province. So the actions that this, that this minister have taken to this point are inadequate. It's not working. And more British Columbians, thousands more, are at risk of also finding themselves in the situation of not having a family doctor unless this minister starts taking the actions that are going to fix that. And this is why uh, his comments yesterday, which again he chose uh, not to, to address, his, 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 his words yesterday, his words, are so critically important in this discussion. He needs to acknowledge the, the disrespect that were in those words. And he has an opportunity to do so here uh, this morning. Dr. Yvette Liu is an award-winning family physician from, from Vancouver, and here's what, uh, what this doctor had to say about the, the minister's words yesterday, and I quote, very disappointed that the health minister does not understand and appreciate the value of family physicians, end quote. Or how about, how about this uh, family doctor, Gareth Mannheimer, who calls the minister's comments, and I quote, unfortunate and deeply disparaging, they have unmasked the apparent disingenuous nature of this government, end quote. Those are not my words. Those are the words of two family physicians amongst thousands that were disrespected and outraged by the minister's comments yesterday. So will the minister stop dividing people? Will he stop with the divisive rhetoric? And will he commit today to taking action that will ensure that British Columbians get the family physicians that they need in the communities where they live? Mr. Felt. Honourable Speaker, I celebrate the work of family practice doctors every day. I celebrate the work of nurses every day, in the gallery or not. And I do celebrate the work of nurse practitioners, which is the core of the particular answer in question, as I celebrate the work of family practice doctors. I think that that reflects the views of people who actually practice medicine in BC, who want to see the development of team-based care. As you'll recall, Honourable Speaker, other efforts have been tried. The, me the member talks about one in five. It was one in five at the end of 14 years of Liberal government, one in five. That was the level of unattachment. And, that, and it started, in that case, at one in 10. And it went to one in five in 14 years. As long, and there's no other source of statistics. That's from the Canadian a Community Health Survey. They started a program called GP for Me that was supposed to address it. Things got worse. And then they abandoned that program, and nothing happened. So what did we do? We started a program to develop primary care networks, to promote community health centers, to train more doctors in residency programs, to support and train more nurse practitioners, and to build out team-based care so that healthcare providers would work together to the, to the extent of their skills. And that process has been led and supported by family doctors. I support family doctors every day. 
I respect their role, and I respect it so much so that we've been key partners in every aspect of primary care reform. Member of Saanich North End Island. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today is Moosehide Campaign Day. It's a day for uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous men and boys to stand against the violence that Indigenous women and girls face on a daily basis. We know that violence often occurs at the site of resource development projects. The final report of the National Inquiry into the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls found as much. When a new resource development project comes to town, like Site C, rates of gender-based violence, child abuse and, violence, and sexual violence go up. In turn, substance use goes up. And then the cycle repeats and intensifies. The Minister of Mental Health and Addictions knows as much because in 2016, as a federal NDP MP, she criticized Site C for going through without consideration to the impacts of Indigenous women and girls. Six years later, this government has doubled down on Site C, Coastal Gaslink, and others, while doing little to address this violence. My question, Mr. Speaker, is to the Premier. He's travelling to Site C this week. What is he doing to protect Indigenous women and girls from the violence they face as a result of these resource development projects? Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to my colleague across the way for drawing attention to the uh, issues of violence facing Indigenous women and girls every day, and he does so on Moosehide Campaign Day, which is most appropriate. We are taking steps throughout the uh, work of the action plan under the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples to address violence and uh, systemic racism in a number of ways, starting with the Police Act, dealing with uh, Indigenous justice centres and, and so many other initiatives to address the scourge of, of violence and racism. Occurring, of course, not just in the locations identified by the member, but across our communities, and we will continue to do so. Member for Sandwich Northern Island, supplemental. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to the Minister for the response. In June of last year, this government had put just $5.5 million on the table to support community safety plans, commemorating the women and girls who were murdered, and get this. Uh, training their own public service. This was as a result of the National Plan for uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. $5.5 million, uh, frankly, Mr. Speaker, is the equivalent to lost change in a couch to this government. Let's look at uh, what this government was willing to spend more money on in 2021 than missing and murdered Indigenous people. $7.93 million for seven advertising campaigns from the government's communications department. $30 million to mark BC's 150th anniversary into Confederation, an, an additional $8 billion uh, on Site C, hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies to the fossil fuel projects. In June of last year, this government said more investments uh, were under consideration. So through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, he's had close to a year to consider this additional funding. Uh, how much more can Indigenous women and girls expect uh, for this government to spend uh, in order to protect them from the impacts of violence? Minister. Well, again, I thank the Honourable Member for drawing attention to this difficult issue. In fact, across uh, every week across British Columbia, there are an estimated 1,000 physical or sexual assaults against women. And as the Member would know, Indigenous women and girls are disproportionately targeted by that. 
Our government has supported the Moosehide campaign since the, the, uh, the previous government as well since 2011, and our government has provided almost $3 million and worked with the uh, federal government to provide $4 million more and ur urge them to find funding in the private sector. We have done, as the minister pointed, as the member pointed out, as part of our BC's path forward response to the report on the uh, report on the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls, a community fund grant of $4.5 million, and we're supporting the Giving Voice campaign sponsored by my minister's advisory committee on Indigenous uh, women and girls. There's much work to do to uh, dismantle sy systemic racism. Our government is committed to that in a variety of actions, and in part we do so through the support of uh, uh, we have given to provide uh, secure and stable funding for sexual assault centers, committed $22 million to do so. Mr. Speaker, there are an array of initiatives through many ministries to address the scourge of racism and systemic violence against Indigenous women and girls. We know this work must continue. There's much more to be done, but I'm proud to be part of a government that is investing in so many ways to address the scourge of racism and discrimination. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the shortage of baby formula is sweeping across North America, parents are already seeing empty shelves here in BC. Michelle Wazlishin of the Retail Council of Canada says, and I quote, Specialized baby formulas that do not have substitutions have, have been impacted for the past nine months, end quote. Parents want to know what is being done to protect our international supply chain and ensure they can feed their newborn children. Now, I am sure the Minister of State has been briefed and is taking action. So my question is, can the Minister of State for Trade say exactly what steps this government has taken to ensure baby formula is still in stock on BC shelves. Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And this issue is a critical one uh, for the health of children in BC. I, I appreciate the Honourable Member raising it. And yes, the government is engaged on this issue, as we have been through the pandemic. The member will recall, uh, on occasion, uh, special flights being chartered in BC uh, by the Ministry of Health to ensure that uh, children get access to what they need and we're continuing to pursue those efforts. It's an important and critical thing we have seen over the last number of years, particularly since the beginning of the pandemic. Some of our traditional suppliers, including uh, in the United States, restricting access to essential items. It reminds us of the need to build our domestic, uh, domestic supplies of vital resources, and we'll need to work together with the Government of Canada to do this. But the government is engaged at all levels in trying to support uh, uh, and, and support the health of children as we were during the pandemic. We took specific action. Issues were raised, including issues raised by members of the opposition personally with me. And action was taken as a result. So I appreciate very much the member raising that question today. Member for West Vancouver, Sea to Sky. Thank you, Speaker. Uh, transit users in the Sea to Sky are suffering from a transit strike entering into its fifth month with no end in sight. Six weeks ago, I asked the uh, Minister of Labour to step in so people can get where they need to go. But nothing's happened. He hasn't done a thing. If this was happening in the Premier's backyard, or the Labour Minister's backyard, or the Transportation Minister's backyard, 
I'm sure this prolonged dispute would be deemed to be completely unacceptable and would have been resolved some time ago. And I think the government knows that. When will this minister do his job and put these parties into binding arbitration? Minister of Labour. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I, I want to thank the, uh, the member for raising this issue. And I share the concern uh, with the member, uh, the impact this strike is having uh, on the people of Cedar Sky Corridor. And we talked about this uh, uh, numerous times. That's why I have reached out, my office has reached out to both parties on numerous occasions. I personally have uh, reached out to both parties, encouraged them to get back to the table, and they did. Uh, but both times, as latest as yesterday, uh, they were back at the bargaining table, but no results. The talks broke off again, and I urge them again that the services of the Labour Board are available to them, the only phone call away, and the mediator is available, and uh, we urge both parties to get back to the bargaining table, because that's where the solution is. But sitting aside, breaking talks is not going to solve the problem. And the, and, and, the, and the agreement is going to come when they're at the bargaining table, negotiate in good faith. Member for Peace River North. Thanks, uh, Honourable Speaker. For almost a year, people from Lytton have been living in motels, waiting to know when they can return and rebuild their own homes. So you can imagine their disgust and dismay when last night on television that they saw a private company was allowed into Lytton to film a promotional commercial amid the wreckage of their burnt out homes. The commercial featured two young girls without protective gear pulling a wagon through the streets of Lytton to the tune of Walking on Sunshine. It's been completely traumatizing for Lytton residents who are still barred from returning to their own homes and rebuilding their lives. So, Honourable Speaker, my question to the Minister is to explain how this is possible that a private company could film a commercial in Lytton before the residents have been allowed to return home to rebuild their own lives. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. I thank the member for the question. And I shared exactly the same concern as the, uh, the member did when I heard that this, had, in fact, had taken place. Uh, this was a decision made by the Council of Lytton. It is a, not something that I would have done. Uh, the Council of Lytton does make these decisions, member. They don't come and ask the province for, for permission. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, I, find it, I found it mind-boggling that that's what, in fact, took place. But I'd also like to take this uh, opportunity to also let the member know that uh, residents are able to return uh, to their property. What they do have to do is to check with the, the City of Lytton and make sure that there is, there is protective gear. Uh, currently, uh, there is significant uh, debris removal underway. The province is working very closely with the uh, insurance industry, dealing with those uh, residences who have insurance uh, and making it clear that uh, the province uh, as I have said uh, repeatedly in this house, is paying for the costs associated with the archaeology work, uh, that we want that done as quickly as possible. 
so that people can get back and, uh, and, and, and rebuild. But the reality is this. That was a decision made by the, uh, the city of Lytton, uh, and it's not one that I would have made. As I said, I share your concerns about that as well. Member for Shuswap. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. There are huge backlogs at the Employment Standards Branch that have only grown under the NEP's watch. Data shows that the number of unresolved cases has increased by 1,000%. 50% of cases are taking over six months to resolve, and complex files are taking upwards of a year and a half, a year and a half before an officer is even assigned to the file. This is hurting employers and employees who are waiting for resolution of their problems and can't get it from this government. What is the minister doing to clear the massive backlog of cases that are waiting to be heard at the Employment Standards Branch? Minister of Labour. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, let's be clear. The backlog at the Employment Standards Branch always existed under their watch and exists today. Only difference is, Mr. Speaker, that under their watch, it was hidden. The, the complaints under their watch from 11,000 a year went down to 4,500. Why? Because half of the employment standard branches were shut down. Half of the, the officers were laid off. And if that wasn't good enough, they threw in self-help kit. And anyone who had a complaint, they were told, fill this you know, stack of papers, you're on your own, go resolve yourself. We are taking action. We are taking action, Mr. Members. Speaker. We, Mr. Have, we have added $14 million when we formed government to add more resources, 35 new officers. And as of last year, we added another 24 on a temporary basis. And more are coming because we are committed to make sure that the workers who need help when they feel that, they are, that their rights have been violated, they get the help when they need it in a timely fashion. We're committed to that. Member for Kelowna Mission. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Well, the NDP has now confirmed that their consultation exercises on their clawback of autism funding were nothing but a sham. This week, the minister charged ahead and ignored parents by issuing a request for proposals for the new hub model that will begin next year. This RFP all but confirms that parents won't have access to the same level of service, which will, and I quote, shift away from the concept of one-to-one -one intervention, end quote. When will the minister get serious about listening to parents by pumping the brakes and cancelling this request for proposals? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. It is very important to be listening to families, and we've been engaging formally with families since 2019, and the ministry has been hearing for years, Honourable Speaker, from many families that the current approach of uh, patchwork access to services leaves far too many children behind. We're going to continue listening to families and service providers and community agencies and Indigenous communities as we, um, as we work on the early implementation and as we continue forward with provincial implementation into 2024 as well. There's currently a survey available on the website. It's available in five languages um, because we want to provide 
lots of different ways to continue listening to families. And we're committed to working with families to get this right. And we know that there are far too many families out there who have a worry about their child and they want to be able to bring them to a, a service provider, a therapist, and be able to be receiving services now, not have to wait for a diagnosis. This is the new system that we're building. We're building it in partnership with families and communities and service providers so that all children and youth with support needs will be able to thrive. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Inflation is at its highest level in over 30 years right now. Housing, rents, gas prices, groceries, all are higher than ever. Well over half of British Columbians are now $200 or less every single month from insolvency and not paying their bills. People have been asking for help now and they're not seeing it from this government. In fact, the only measure this government has done to try to bring in affordability in the last while was Cabinet making sure they gave themselves their retroactive $20,000 pay raise while the rest of British Columbians are desperately waiting help. Three weeks ago now, the Premier was very clear. He said he directed the Finance Minister to, quote, bring forward initiatives to assist with inflation, end quote. That was three weeks ago now. Price has gone up another, uh, gas alone has gone up another 20 cents a litre in that three weeks. Can the Finance Minister give an update on when exactly those inflation-fighting initiatives will be announced? New inflation-fighting initiatives. Minister of Finance. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Um, and I appreciate uh, the member's, the member's uh, question. Um, and, uh, you know, as a government, we recognize um, the challenges for British Columbians, particularly in the, uh, in, in, in certainly in recent months. We also need to be clear that uh, as people are coming out of the pandemic, as things are starting to open up, um, that the increase in inflation, the increase in, in gas uh, costs, and increase in food costs uh, is hurting those who, who, are, who are most vulnerable, Mr. Speaker. Um, but I also think, Mr. Speaker, we need to sort of um, recognize um, significant steps that we have been taking and that we are continuing to take, Mr. Speaker. Um, and I, and I, I think, Mr. Speaker, around how much more difficult it would be for British Columbians if we hadn't been taking the steps that we've been taking over the last five years. And I think, Mr. Speaker, about, um, based on just some rough calculations, that British Columbian families, and I'm thinking, you know, let's think of a family perhaps in Surrey, Mr. Speaker. Um, what, what would be happening to that family if we hadn't taken the steps that we Member. took? They would be paying bridge tools. Kevin Falcon brought those in. They would be paying bridge tools $1,200, $1,400 a year. Members, if, let's if, hear the answer. If, 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 we hadn't, if, we hadn't, if we hadn't eliminated MSP, if we hadn't done that, that was a tax that doubled under their watch that we eliminated, Mr. Speaker, that family is now saving $1,800. And the child opportunity benefit, Mr. Speaker, Member. that's $2,600 in people's pockets, Mr. Speaker. 
and, and free transit for children, Mr. Speaker. So when I just, just, just that summary, Mr. Speaker, that's $7,400 a year in people's pockets. Oh, 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 and ICBC, let's not forget that. I forgot that, Mr. Speaker. Not only, not only are they paying 20% less in their annual uh, insurance, Members, but they're getting rebates, order. Mr. Speaker. They're getting rebates, and the rebates... Mr. Speaker, is coming this month. The third, the third rebate, Mr. Speaker. There is absolutely more work to do, Mr. Speaker. We are working to can continue to deliver for British Columbians when they need it most. The balance question period.